Welcome to another episode of Diversion and Exclusivity, Yusuf's Adventures in Zebra Hunting. I'm incredibly privileged today to talk to a pillar in the Toronto tech community and a very good friend of mine, uh, as I'd like to say for her. You know, one of the things that I know about Allison is that after the passing of my father, when I wrote this article, even though I had just met her a few weeks prior to it, I reached out to her and said, hey, would you mind reviewing this and, and sending me your thoughts? And she immediately responded, which is a testament of her character. So I'm incredibly, incredibly privileged to you today to interview Allison Simpson, Chief Marketing Officer of Key, MEC Board of Director, CNIB Board Director, Smith Business School Advisory Board, and a 57 times marathoner for someone who's as young as she is, I think she did two to three a year, and an incredible friend to Toronto and the Canadian community. Allison, welcome to this podcast. This is a podcast with Dante Allison. What I learned that I can do anything what I put my mind to. Oh, Yusuf, you, you're making me blush and you're making me tear up at the same time. That tribute that you did to your father and the life that your father led in the community he built is such an incredible example of the opportunity that's available in Toronto and in Canada in particular. You've also called out one of my favorite all-time animals, zebras, because I love how when they're in the wild together, they look out for each other by uh, putting their necks on top of each other and that way they can see, watch for predators in both directions. And then maybe the nicest thing you said in your introduction is calling me young. So thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and independently, I knew both of you. And just really a few weeks ago, I realized that you and Karen Simpson are actually sisters. And, you know, I had a quick chat with Karen and, and don't worry, she hasn't given <laughs> me any stories yet, but uh, you really are you know, in an incredible family. And I remember Karen saying it was really about your upbringing and, and how you were brought up and in terms of, you know, the values that you have as human beings. But I want to just echo that one more time before I start to introduce you, that as a person who reached out to you cold and then came and actually asked you a few questions, you've been incredibly kind from the first time that we've met. Oh, it's truly my pleasure. And it's, I'm really flattered to be here. So thank you for the generous invitation. Yes, for sure. So uh, let's start with uh, where are you from? Are you from Toronto? Are you where were you born and raised? And, and who are you? Who am I? There's a scary question. Uh, I am absolutely Canadian. I did not grow up in the big city of Toronto. I grew up in a relatively small, at the time it was a smaller farming town, uh, but it had the benefit of being surprisingly ethnically diverse, um, particularly when I was young. So then I went off to London for university and realized that the world I'd grown up in and just the norm, how normal being ethnically diverse in a small town was, wasn't all that normal in Canada at the time. I am thrilled that now more than ever, Canada has absolutely embraced ethnic diversity and is absolutely one of the most welcoming places in the world. That was core to my upbringing and it remains core to what I love about the country that I call home. So I've grown up in the marketing world and what really attracted me to marketing and it's a career is the way that it 
combines creativity with commerce and really connecting brands with consumers. I've had the pleasure of working across very different industries in my career, and I've built brands and delivered double-digit growth for companies as diverse as Apple and Holt Renfrew, Tim Hortons and MasterCard, Ford, Rogers, Fairmont, uh, just to name a few. So that speaks to well how I'm really not all that young. Uh, and I've also been the president of a number of different advertising agencies and marketing firms. As you mentioned, I'm now the chief marketing officer for Key, which is an amazing early stage company in the tech and real estate industries. Uh, and then I serve on a number of boards. And I absolutely, and I know you feel the same about this, it's so important to how I live my life that I make time to give back. I have the opportunity to do that by being on the board for the Canadian National Institute for the Blind. And I also really make a conscious effort to be active in my industry and to mentor uh, people that are in the marketing world or by female in looking to be in leadership positions. So I've been a mentor for the American Marketing Association's Toronto chapter, and I've mentored in a female organization called the Scala Network, and I sit on the CMO advisory board for PwC. So I'm, I'm really, really blessed to have had such diverse career experiences and to really have a chance to give back and continue to learn. I was looking back and it, it literally was not by, you know, not by design. It was by us looking for the best people to have on this podcast to really, you know, kick it off per se. And I had Zainab Muse and Tanya Woods and and all these incredible human beings. And it just so happened we were looking today and I was talking to Adina and Catherine and and everyone primarily has been female, uh, as we, even my little it. sister, as you know, and which is, I think, you know, I think Anna Petosa says it best, who's a good friend of mine. She's the VP of HR at Pelmerex. And she always says that if you just look for the best people in the world, you look for great human beings that have great values and character and so on, and then skill sets to match, you end up, you know, doing diversity, almost not having to calculate it, but almost actually do it by what it was meant to be. And you find these incredible, incredible human beings. So that's pretty cool. It, it, you know, you mentioned key. So tell me a little bit about what is key? What, what's kind of the vision behind the company? So I've, as I mentioned, I've been super lucky to work on really amazing businesses and brands in my career, but in all honesty, they really do pale in comparison to now. With Key, I actually get the opportunity to give people who have given up on the hope of ever owning a home in cities like Toronto, hope back. And I got to tell you, that's a pretty cool position to be in. So our mission at Key is to create a world where real estate can be a source of prosperity and freedom for everyone. And the need for what we're building is absolutely significant. And I'll use Toronto as a great example. Today, it takes, and this is such a staggering stat to me, but it takes an average of 21 years to save enough for the typical down payment that's required to own a home and a condo in, in the city of Toronto. And if that wasn't more challenging enough for most people, you also have to qualify for a mortgage which can be really, really tough for people who are newly immigrated to Canada and don't yet have a credit rating here. So at Key, our co-founders right. absolutely believe and got into their vision is we believe that way too many people are blocked out of owning real estate and really benefiting from building real estate wealth. Uh, so we've created an innovative and patent pending way to give them access. Now, the way that we do that, we raise money from large institutional investors that enable us to then go and buy entire high-rise high buildings. 
Then we enable people to own for just $25,000. They share in the real estate, real estate upside and downside with the investors, uh, but they don't need a mortgage to own so they can get into real estate years earlier. Um, and that's a solution that's certainly needed in Toronto and other cities like Vancouver, as well as some global cities as well. So that's pretty incredible, especially, you know, obviously we see uh, a lot of the newcomers coming to Canada. You know, I'm involved in a lot of newcomer organizations, as well as the fact that we supply senior tech talent to the Canadian tech ecosystem. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people come from places where home ownership is their one source of wealth or their one source of legacy to their kids. I'm in Romania right now and we've had this discussion, but it was so important when we brought up the discussion of rent in our family with my Romanian wife, uh, Danny, and it was just like, what do you mean? We, we can't rent, we need to do something for the, for the kids and so on. So I, I think people coming into Canada as newcomers have this extreme desire to really be a part of something. And I think that's what Key is really doing right now. Absolutely. And, and we're enabling it at a much easier access point. So instead of owning title on a house or a condo, you own real estate equity that also gives you tenancy and the condo of your choice for as long as you want. So the other way that our model can be really compelling for newcomers is the flexibility that it offers. So with Key, you can easily upsize the suite that you live in and move between our different buildings and communities. And Yusuf, you're a great example of why this is beneficial. When you first came to Toronto, you were by yourself. And I know the longer term plan is that your wife and children will join you. Um, with traditional real estate, you'd need to be locked into owning a big three bedroom condo right off the bat. But with Key, you could start in a one bedroom or bachelor. And then when your family is ready to emigrate with you, you can upsize to a larger condo and not have to worry about buying or selling. You can just move within the ecosystem of Key. You know, that's pretty incredible. My wife came with the kids. We finally were able to bring everyone down for about three months. We had this stint and uh, you know, we want to spend some time with grandma and uh, did that as well in Edmonton. But we you know, made a decision. We were going to move to Toronto full-time in July of 2020, checked out the schools and the areas we wanted to be in. And part of that experience was we were able to stay at uh, my co-founder's place for about a week because he was away. And then we, ha- we booked a couple Airbnbs. And, and finally, I was able to stay at my friend's house, which is where I normally stay, Robin. During the experience, though, imagine that she had the opportunity to finally be in a Toronto condo three to four different ways. And and now me, I'm an Airbnb, you know, I've been in every type of Airbnb <laughs> you can imagine, right? Like I worldwide, but I've stayed in a lot of Toronto Airbnbs. And, you know, so I've had that experience of being able to move around and I know the difference between moving from a bachelor to a one bedroom, to a two bedroom, to a shared place and so on. I was able to kind of see that. And and I know the value of her being able to see that experience and then being able to say to her, like, look, I'm comfortable right now. You know, don't worry. Like I'm here on my own and I've got this, you know, bachelor one bedroom. And when you're here with the kids, we're going to have this place. So I think that's incredibly valuable because a lot of times you know, some of the people that come to Canada through the programs that we've been working with, they come first, they kind of get themselves set up. 
and then their family or their spouse or partner joins them. Yeah, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of Airbnb. I use it a lot when I travel. And actually, one of our co-founders, Daniel, is from Airbnb. But what you don't get with the Airbnb is you actually get built to real estate equity, whereas with Key, you have the flexibility of being able to upsize and downsize and move from neighborhood to neighborhood while you're building equity and wealth in real estate the entire time. So it's it really is an incredibly rare model, and that's why we've got a number of patents pending as well. Yeah, definitely incredible from there. Um, in terms of what's happening currently, you know, obviously we're going through major challenges in the world as we you know, have always had, but for once we're going through a lot of challenges together, uh, which in itself is an incredible blessing and also opportunity. How is that affecting the key model? Well, we were planning and we still are on track to launch our first suites at the end of 2020. Uh, We're also in the midst of our next round of fundraising and we're working with a couple of the top uh, investor investment banks to do that. So obviously we didn't plan on the pandemic. The pandemic has slowed down the fundraise a little bit, but I'm thrilled that we still have really strong momentum and the demand for what we're building. Uh, We've got people that just can't wait to move in and become our first owner residents. So there's great demand and we are on track to have our first units available for late 2020. Yeah. And I mean, I I don't think any pandemic, I think but you know what? It, I think it revealed uh, a lot of the planning that we had done in our lives in terms of who we were as people and how we would respond to these types of situations. And I've seen some incredible responses across the board. So it, it's great. And it's, there. it's also helped uh, even further validate the need for the flexibility, the model that we offer. So if the minimum investment, if you want to live in one of our suites and have ownership is $25,000. Anything that you invested over and above that, if you were in the face of the pandemic, like many people have been unexpectedly displaced from their jobs, you can draw down on your equity and help fund your life around those unexpected issues that we all run into and not have to worry about the hassle of buying and selling your house. You can draw down just through the app that we're designing your equity and use that to live on. So it just gives flexibility that is always important in life, but when unexpected things like a pandemic and job loss happens, it's even more important. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, we talk about innovation in this in this day and age. It's really developing completely new business models. So I want to I want to sure. shift a little bit away from you know from key and just talk a little bit about one of the things that um, you know has always been interesting is I sit on the board for coding for veterans, and we're working together with this incredible team to upskill veterans to enter back into the workforce, but into the digital economy. And within uh, that program and so on, I've only rang the stock Toronto Stock Exchange bell twice in my life. It's a pretty neat experience. And it was both. It's incredible. (laughs) It's so awesome. Like, you know, the first time it happens and you do your little run through and they're like, this is what's going to happen and so on and so forth. Like I was so excited. Like I, best suit and tie I could find and then the second time it happened I walked in there like a little bit of a boss and I was like oh this is what's <laughs> gonna happen you know let's have some coffee and sweets together <laughs> but what was interesting is that I was in the financial industry for 10 years never had that experience and I got into the tech industry and I had that experience twice and you were the SVP of marketing and branding for the Toronto Stock or TMX yes. at one point uh, just give me a bit of a, you know, as this powerful female, powerful human being, being in that 
Bay Street type of environment, you know, what was that experience it was, like? I mean, part of what I've loved about my career is the incredibly diverse cultures and experiences and industries I've worked in. I am so not a typical financial person. I definitely skew more on the analytical and creative side. Uh, so it was the, the CEO actually brought me in to help define what the TMX group was from a brand perspective, because they're best known for the Toronto Stock Exchange. But the reality is they have nine other businesses across data analytics and different stock exchanges that really weren't understood or known to be part of the same company. So it really was coming in and defining what those 10 businesses could be and how they could grow their business and their market share outside of Canada as well. So it was a really fascinating branding challenge. It's a highly matrix business, as you can appreciate with 10 companies come 10 different presidents that varying different types of cultures, and they were absolutely not a digital first or consumer or brand first organization at all. So it was such a great experience on a bunch of levels. Uh, I had a very similar experience to you though, like the first time you actually get to ring the bell or in our case, hit the button for the Toronto Stock Exchange is a really, really neat moment. Yeah. And it, I was fortunate, like Minister oh, very was neat. there, right? So, so half of me is like, wow, I'm not used to this being around these ministers and all this stuff. Like I just, I had these experiences really over the last 18 months where, you know, Minister Menacino and, and Minister Baines and, and, and so when I was able to meet them, but, or Minister Hassan, but this is like one of the first times I'm like, oh my God, I'm at the TMX, I'm, and I'm about to ring the bell, they're, gonna, they're telling me about these balloons <laughs> that are going to fall and so on and so forth, like all of this, and then, and then Minister Mono walks in, I'm like, oh my God, that's, it, it was really an interesting experience for me, I, you know, I, I tend to really love these things in terms of new experiences that well, I have Well, it's also that life. fun balance between now, you feel like a kid in the candy store for the first time, but you're a professional, so you don't want to look, make it so obvious that you feel like a kid in the candy yeah, store. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> but that's a great life moment. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, you know, I didn't know some of these things about you, So, but you've run 250 kilometers <laughs> in the Sahara Desert. Smart. Okay, you've raced 57 marathons, climbed Kilimanjaro. I mean, this is <laughs> mind-blowing. Out of all the things that you've done, and, and you've now the CMO of Key, and you've done all these other experiences, and all these board advisories that you're on, you know, what's what's kind of been the most difficult for you, and kind of well, why, and what were wow, your thoughts I'm on I'm suddenly that? feeling a little bit tired for some odd reason. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, wait, in coffee injection, let's do espresso. So I'll start by saying that's a really tough list to select from. Uh, but thankfully, I've loved doing all of those things. So difficult becomes relative. If I have to pick from the list, I'd have to go with the 250 kilometer run in the Sahara, because it was difficult from both a mental and a physical endurance perspective. Coming from Canada, the race was in October. So training through the fall, winter, and summer, the heat and dehydration of the Sahara Desert is just something that I couldn't train for in Canada. So that brought an entirely new experience right. to me. Also having to carry everything that I needed, including all the food for the week in a backpack as I ran, made for some good added obstacles. And then from a more, maybe more female perspective, not being able to actually have access to a bathroom or shower for a week as you're like running every day, 
really made me appreciate summer life's right. basics much more. Like when I got back to the hotel and could actually have a shower and of all things, go to the washroom yeah. <laughs> without squatting in the desert. It's amazing how you start to appreciate life's little pleasures. Um, but it's also like a lot of life's difficulties. Um, I learned so much from the experience. I am absolutely very happy that I did it. And I'm actually seriously considering doing another similar ultra uh, next year. So you really might start questioning my sanity. So, okay. Uh, l- let me understand this a bit because this is interesting to me. In terms of how much weight are you carrying on you while so you're going it, through this? Thankfully, it gets lower during the week because it, the, the bulk of the weight, yeah, the, bu- the bulk of eating. the weight's the food. Because <laughs> It's not like I'm changing every day. I'm basically wearing the same thing for six days. So it started, <laughs> it was just over 20 pounds. And by the time we got to the second last day, which they call the long march, which in my case was a double marathon that day, it, your pack is pretty light, thankfully. Okay, so you're an extra 20 pounds. I just lost uh, 20. Congratulations. Pounds, so I, I can feel the difference. Thank you. But, you know, I can feel, I can understand that right now. And in terms of like, are you alone a lot of this time or are you around people? Like, what's that mental experience? Like? So the year I did it, there were 138 people from around the world competing. And usually each year they lose about 25 to 30% don't finish the race for lots of obvious reasons. In my year, it was about 25% that didn't finish. So you camp out every night as a group. Um, you occasionally see people during the day but a, most of it is spent on your own. Uh, so the, the physical challenges you can train for, and if you don't train for them, you're truly crazy going into something like this. The, me- the mental yeah, challenges, that course. amount of time on your own. And I went into this thinking, wow, I can like solve all these business issues and all these life issues uh, with all this time to think yeah. things through. The reality... <laughs> Well, how long? Yeah, it was over six days. So the first four days tend to be anywhere from like 25 to 42 kilometers. It varies. And then the fifth day they call it the long march and it's literally at least a double marathon. So my year it was 98 kilometers. Uh, And then the the final day was just more of it was 10K. This is mind blowing. (laughs) You know, I I used to be excited that I was beating my Samsung health counter every day. You should be excited about that. And... uh, and I was, like, I was sending it back to my wife. I was like, maybe, like, you know, like, uh, I sent, uh, you know, I walked this many steps today. And you're doing, like, 98 kilometers. Tell me a little bit about, did you mentally prepare for it in terms of what you would go through alone? Or was it was it kind of like that day-by-day thing? I know you're saying, like, oh, I was going to solve all these business problems and so on. But, like, what are you going through as you're I'm literally, like, yeah. virtually well, isolated, I had aren't the you? benefit of, I did this as part of a fundraiser for the National Advertising Benevolent Society, which is another nonprofit in Canada. So we had a group of nine different Canadians that were part of that fundraising. Three of our team didn't make it past the second day. Everyone else, I'm thrilled to say, finished. So we had that camaraderie at camp at night. We didn't see much of each other during most of the days, but just knowing that at the end of the long day of running and climbing through the Sahara Desert, I'd had that built-in community. was incredibly powerful. Um, And one of the people that basically came up with the idea for us to do this, he had done a similar race on his own before. So we got to have a better appreciation as we were training for this of what was involved. And he said something that really stuck with me early in the training. It was all around adversity training. 
So on really bad snowstorms, on super hot days, on days when at the, for whatever reason, at the end of the day, I just didn't want to go out and train. Those were the most important times for me to train because that was as much about the mental training as it was about the physical training. So just having those insights and the benefit right. of learning that from someone else as part of the training process really did help as I was going through the race. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not only is that incredible training for life, it's it's an incredible opportunity for you to mentor a lot of you know people who you know are going through mental you know challenges from the whatever their 250 kilometers Sahara Desert, oh, you know, so march true. is. Well, and it, right? so. in, in a way that nothing else in my life so far has taught me, it really did show me that we are capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And that was as much about the mental challenge. Um, but the other thing that happened literally the night before the long march, I went, got back from the race that day, was in the camp, felt pretty good, was walking around and started to feel a little queasy. So I went to the medical tent and thankfully there was a medical tent to go to and emerged six hours later, not remembering any of it because I was severely dehydrated and hallucinating. Uh, so thankfully they had incredible medical wow. support. But at that point I was convinced my race was over. The doctor came to see me the next day before the race started and said, what do you think? Can you start? And I said, you know what, if I get to the start line, run three steps and can't go a step further, at least I will know I gave it all my all. If I don't go to the start line and try, I will always wonder if I could have done it. So he gave me the go ahead to try it. Um, it was a, the long, my long march was a very long day because I walked probably as much as I ran. But the fact that I, your, our bodies can come back and our minds can come back from that kind of adversity and accomplish something that on its surface seems impossible was a le lesson that I will take to my grave, hopefully no time soon. <laughs> yeah, if I, I didn't mention this before, but the reason I launched this podcast is I really wanted to create a record of the involvement I was going through as I was getting involved with, in the impact economy. And, and it was really a, to show my kids this involvement that I was going through and, and, uh, you know, didn't know what was going to go on with this pandemic. Knew oh, it, no yeah, one there's really no knew. way. But I just <laughs> I knew. Exactly. So I, I just wanted this record and, and that lesson is so incredibly powerful for my kids. I, I just, if that's all we get out of this podcast, I, I just want to say thank oh, you. Truly is my pleasure. When you talk about success and you've, you've experienced success in so many different facets of your life, what do you envision success as today versus at the start of your career? Because I think about all these students and you met a couple of these incredible ones that we've been dealing with, Adina and Catherine both who have just graduated and they've graduated into this environment but what do you think about success today versus uh success maybe when you were graduating or That's when you were question. starting your career path? so one thing i will say about success is it's never a straight line it hasn't been since early in my career and initially i would say i really thought about success as being about continual advancement and getting to the next level it was also about loving what i do and challenging myself and always learning so those last three elements have absolutely straight stayed true throughout my career. So what's really changed the most for me is focusing on, on enjoying the journey and less on the title and the next goal. I also think a big part of my success wasn't planned. Like when I first started my career, I like tried to create the five-year plan and the 10-year plan. And that was hard to do then. It's even harder to do with the pace of change today. 
I, I, I had, I had <laughs> they're, they're actually quite comical to go back and look at like what you thought was going to happen versus the reality oh yeah 100 percent. i'm like oh my god i was looking at my, the first one that i said because you know i come from this uh, incredibly educated family and you know i was the black sheep and i and i became the entrepreneur and all those things so i remember when i dropped out and i gave this plan to my mom it was like you show this to my dad and you tell him to stop worrying in five years i'll be like this and then i looked at the plan and i'm like oh god i should have asked <laughs> your son in that one. Oh, it's so true your mom was then, nice not to laugh though right the things we thought were Oh, no, she didn't laugh, but, you know, when she was mad one day, she reminded me of <laughs> But, you know, it's it, it's so interesting as you, as we evolve and mature, the things that we thought were important, and oh, that changes a lot in our lives, right? Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about mentorship and in terms of some of the individuals or some of the people that you today, you know, as this powerful human being, who does... Alison Simpson actually look up to, or who do you look to for advice? Well, I've been I've been blessed in my life and career, and certainly when it comes to mentors, I've had very diverse mentors throughout my career. Some of them were more formal mentor relationships. Some of them were people that I absolutely admired and learned from more through observation and informal conversation. And to be honest, if you ask them, they'd probably be surprised to hear that I think of them as a mentor because it wasn't formal. Um, and I've learned from, I deliberately sought out women who had charted a new path in, in industries and at new levels in industries, because when I was coming up through the ranks, there, there weren't many of them and they just gave me such powerful and important learning. I also have learned so much from, I had clients, um, the CEO of Tim Hortons when I was running their agency, Paul House. He's one of those informal mentors where he'd probably be shocked to have me describe him as a mentor, but I just learned so much from watching how he led the team, watching how he lived all aspects of his life from a really well-defined value set. And then the other people that I've learned from um, are the people that I mentor. Um, I am so lucky to mentor right now. I've got two different uh, women who are incredibly accomplished early in their career. And I have to say, I am learning at least as much, probably more from them than they're learning from me. So I think that points to the fact that you can learn so much from everyone around you and there can be certainly from more senior people from people with diverse experiences but if you're open to it you can learn from a neighbor across the street and from people that are on paper more junior in their careers and success so far yeah and i i i think that speaks to awareness and understanding that there's lessons everywhere i've had this great blessing to be able to spend so much time with the boys uh, as in the kids these past two months. And I, I've learned so much just from them as well. And at the same time, it, it's extending into these incredible students that we brought on board this summer. And and I've been mentoring a, a, a couple of students that run a company called Visual Studios that oh, produce neat. all the videos that we do. And just, you know, and it's just working yeah, with them. And great. I think you've seen some of the videos and they do an incredible, incredible job, right? And yeah, you're right. Like, I, I love that that enthusiasm and that willingness to learn and that curiosity, it's just, it's just mind blowing. One question I wanted to ask, you know, as someone who's been the CMO of all these incredible organizations, uh, what's the best kept marketing secret that's always kind of worked for you? <laughs> You're going to give it up today, so I apologize. But <laughs> um, It's actually a great follow-on question because it, it builds on what I just shared about the mentoring piece. 
if I had to distill it down to one thing, it would be listen first and then act. Because the reality of people of all backgrounds, ages and levels have really great ideas to contribute if you're willing to invite them into the conversation. And part of listening first and then acting is also about always being willing to adapt and evolve. Just because something worked brilliantly for me three years ago on in one industry definitely does not mean that it will necessarily work well again, especially today when the pace of change has never been faster and it's only going to increase moving forward. I think in the pandemic is sadly a great example of that. No matter how brilliant a marketer or business person you were, none of us could have anticipated or planned for this. So if we're not willing to listen first and then act and constantly be adapting and evolving, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna succeed in marketing and we're not gonna succeed as business people. Yeah, I started off in the sales industry. A lot of people say that you know, as I first started, one of the hardest things mm. to sell is life insurance. And that's exactly where I got my education in sales. And I learned a long time ago that, and this is something that I'm constantly teaching the boys. I'm like, listen, you have two ears and you have one mouth. So you got to listen twice as much as you talk. And once in a while, they'll just, you know, they start going off. And I'm like, what did I tell you? How many ears do you have? How many ears do you have? They're like, two, two, buddy. I have two. But that's such a great life lesson for them. That will absolutely stick with them, especially yeah. as they get older. Yeah, and I, I keep telling that to my wife, but it's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> okay, so... You know, powerful human being, powerful Torontonian, powerful Canadian, at the same time, a powerful example to females and women across the world of what you can accomplish when you really put your mind to it. You know, what would be some advice that you'd give to young women today entering the workforce? Well, first, I'm really glad this isn't being on video because I'm fluorescent red with all of the times you've called me powerful and incredibly humbled by it. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> of course, but it, it's the, the advice truth. I, I mean, it really is. Is probably the advice that I am the worst at following myself. And it's, there's three different aspects to it. So I'd start with don't underestimate yourself. And there's so many examples of where women and men just view opportunities differently. And this was reinforced for me recently when I've got eight nieces and nephews, some in Canada, some in Australia. They're all millennials and Gen Z, and a couple of them are looking for a job. One's a female, one's a guy. They literally looked at two different job postings. The female had like 90% of the wish list of criteria for the job. The My nephew had probably 50%. He looked at it and said, oh, I'm a perfect fit for this. She looked at it and said, oh, there's no way I should apply. I just don't know everything. Um, and that's just a fundamental example of how women look and see a list of skills. They see what they don't bring to it instead of seeing all the things they do bring to it. And, and it's a horrible generalization, but gentlemen tend to be more optimistic and see how they could do the job and focus less on the skills they haven't yet grown. So I just think it's so important to, to not underestimate right. yourself and to be willing to take some chances. Um, also, you can't assume that hard work is enough and you can't be so singularly focused on the tasks at hand that you don't invest time in building relationships and networking both within your existing company and outside more broadly in your industry. 
Um, and you also can't shy away from speaking up and sharing what you're working on and your accomplishments. We tend to, as females, and I'm certainly guilty of this, it's about head down and let's accomplish, let's get so much done that everyone will, you know, so obvious to everyone why I'm ready for the next promotion. What you fail to you know, bring into that perspective is there are a lot of people around you that are also really, really busy. So it, you can't expect them to be paying so much attention to you that it's obvious to them how you're contributing and what you're accomplishing. So this isn't about beating your own chest and being a braggart at all. It's just about finding smart ways to, to be visible in how you're contributing and how you're accomplishing and being willing to speak up and participate in important meetings and important discussions. It, it's a lesson in leadership as well, because as you're leading or you're interviewing and whether, you know, you're female, male, or, or you know, or, or whatever you identify as, we also need to include or, or open up those conversations in the same point. way, in the same perspective, right? And understand, you know, that it's, this, this is a two-sided coin. This isn't just like, hey, the onus is on you. The onus is on all of us in order to do that, as leaders especially. So thank you for that, that lesson. It's incredible from there. So to finish off with, <laughs> uh, this has been a lot of fun, by the way, and uh, you know I'm looking forward to. I know you're going to be doing a uh, webinar on the GSH show with Mo, our VP of Talent, and you're going to go into a lot of the technical details uh, about Key. So I'm looking forward to that for not only our community but the the global community at large that is looking at Canada as their next home, and uh, that's going to be awesome. And you know we'll be sharing those details as well. But I, I always like to end with three questions and, you know, three interesting questions from there. The, the first question you've answered multiple times. So I'm just going to say the question. Okay. If you want to add to it, you can add to it, but you don't need to because you've done it so many times throughout this podcast. Is, you know, what is the one thing about life that you would want to share with kids like Arman, Yusuf, and Samir, oh. which are mine? Don't underestimate yourself. And kids, when I think back and when I'm, I'm surrounded by younger kids, there's such an optimism and such a belief in them that they can be absolutely invincible. And life sort of teaches us along the way that we're not quite as invincible as we initially thought. But don't lose that wonder. Don't lose that belief in yourself. And don't lose the belief that if you're willing, if you really commit to something, if you're willing to sacrifice and work hard for it, you really can accomplish it. Thank you. Uh, it's incredibly powerful. My second question to you is, <laughs> you're quarantined for 14 days. What is the one food oh. that you need to this have This will explain you? why I have to run 57 marathons. It would probably be <laughs> gourmet ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> gourmet ice cream. Okay. It, it, any, any particular... Toronto Absolutely. Spots that we're missing cream. right now. They have one in the beach and one in Leslieville. And my favorite flavor is mint chocolate chip. Mint chocolate. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So Ed's ice cream. When I get back to Toronto, I will treat I'm going to have happily. some mint chocolate chip ice cream. <laughs> awesome. And the final question I have for you is I have a tremendous amount of respect for your sister. Oh. I met her at Collision. A what it would have been. And not only did she, you know, I mean, this is the head the inclusion partner at TD. She's Canada's number one the, recruiter. One of the, you know, top Canada's number one recruiter, right? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, right? So, you know, all of these things. And, and she's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to meet you. And I'm like, oh, sweet. So, like, you know, I, I go and I have this conversation with her. 
she just it just gives you advice transparency she tells you exactly you know how she can support you and then she's like yusuf one second i think i i have a really good connection for you and she walks me across the collision floor to meet her daughter yeah. yeah introduces me to her and she's like you really need to connect you know all this stuff like just an incredible human being as well i asked her like how did you guys become so incredible and she said we are blessed to have great role models it's really tough right now not being wow. able to see her, meaning you. Yeah. Uh, we only live two kilometers apart, but that's life right now. One of us will have to plop a lawn chair out front soon and chat and <laughs> drink from key. a distance. <laughs> yeah, of course. My last thing for you is what is your message to Karen besides the fact that she needs to be yeah, one of the next guests on this podcast? So I am so lucky to have a sister who is also my best friend and she challenges me in positive ways. And I know that if life gives me lemonade, she will absolutely be right by my side to do it. So what I would love to say to Karen is, I love you, I respect you, you make me a better human being, and I am so incredibly, incredibly blessed that you are such an important part of my life, and that even though we don't haven't got to see each other as much through the pandemic, it's going to make those wonderful hugs and raising a glass of wine together in person again even more special. So I would say thank you, and I love you. Karen, you better listen to that stuff. <laughs> well, Allison, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this. I am looking forward to seeing the journey of Key and the impact it's going to have on the real estate market, as well as the impact it's going to have on helping people really find their first home or, or their next home in what I believe is one of the most innovative models out there right now. So thank you so much for all your time. I, I look forward to getting this shared out and spreading the word. And at the same time, once again, I just want to thank you for being there for me by helping that me with that you know, moment small moment in, in my life, which was a large moment. And, and, you know, and I, I just, the support, the help, and at the same time, just the openness, just once again, really speaks to the testament of your character and I really, really look forward to us Absolutely. also raising a glass of something. <laughs> Even on first meeting through LinkedIn, like it was just so obvious in what you were writing about your dad and the way that you reached out, that if someone had made this ask of you, you would have been there in a heartbeat. And that made it so easy for me to say, of course, I would be flattered to read this and help in any way that I can. So you get what you put out in the world and you absolutely deserve all of the happiness and joy that you have. My pleasure. Thank you very much. If <laughs> the same thing, if this was on video, I'd be red. And trust me, it's hard, to get, it's hard for me to get red. <laughs> okay, Allison, we will chat and we will see you I'm soon. Looking I'm really forward looking to forward to it too. Enjoy your time at home. Show. Thanks. Bye-bye. For sure. Take care.